I want you to think back in your mind to 40 years ago. All right, 40 years ago, that'd be the year 1978. In the era of afros, bell bottoms, tie-dye, disco music, mopeds. Many are like, I wasn't even born yet, all right? It's like minus 22 or minus 33 years old, that's fine. Me too, I wasn't born yet. But what was going on 40 years ago, either for you or for your family, for your parents or your grandparents? What was happening 40 years ago? For me, my parents were brand new newlyweds. We just celebrated their 40th anniversary this year. So they had just finished school, they're getting their first jobs, their first home together. And we look at stories and pictures of them from 1978. And as kids, we find them humorous or heartwarming, fascinating for sure. If you were alive 40 years ago, you may have equally significant good memories from back then. Or, you may think, on the other hand, you know, that wasn't a very good season for me in my life. Maybe you were in a, a bad place emotionally or financially or relationally or spiritually. If you weren't born yet, maybe you have no knowledge of what was going on 40 years ago. Or you may think on the negative side that, you know, my parents were not laying a very good foundation at that time for my life to come. Whatever you think of 40 years ago may seem like forever ago to you, might seem like yesterday. But it's sobering, isn't it? To think that things that happened then have shaped who you are today in many ways. Just like things that you do today are going to shape you and your descendants in 2058. Now, we're about to go a lot farther back than 40 years. Try approximately 3,200 years. Back to the days of historic biblical characters such as Moses and Joshua. So, please open your Bibles for the first time to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Today we begin a journey through this ancient, really amazing, central book of the Bible, yet often ignored book. The, the strange name Deuteronomy comes from Latin and means second law, because this is where Moses gives a thorough retelling of the law that God had earlier given his people. If you're like, what? Why Deuteronomy? It's a good question, one I keep asking myself. It's why I wrote a blog this week explaining in detail why we're doing this and to save time for answering this question in the sermon today, that's in your bulletin for you to read later on. In brief, though, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That includes Deuteronomy. It's profitable to teach us, to correct us, to reprove us, and to train us in 
righteousness. 1 Corinthians 10.11 tells us that the things that happened to the people of Israel way back then actually happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So the words that were written down here in Deuteronomy were meant for us as believers in Christ. And it's good for us to, to look back on the history of God's people to see the, their victories and their failures and learn from them. Their failures really in loving God fully. Because after all, we have the same God. One God over all, over us. Speaking of the people of Israel, why I had you picture 40 years ago is because this is precisely what they were doing as we opened to the beginning of Deuteronomy. We find the people of Israel poised on the fringes of Canaan, the land that God had promised to them. They had been camping in the Middle Eastern wilderness wasteland for 40 years now. After being rescued from slavery in Egypt, they had rebelled against God, and so as punishment, God forced them to wander the desert for 40 years. Now, as Moses is nearing the end of his life, he wants to give one final sermon series, so to speak. And that's Deuteronomy. Now, I'm going to show you a video now to get you well acquainted with their story and their context. It's really going to take us from Genesis to Numbers in about 10 minutes flat. Okay? If you're confused at all about where we are in the Bible, what we're talking about, where in history we are, this will catch you up. Now, if you find it cheesy, that's okay. I, I find it pretty powerful. I think some of you will probably find it awesome and some of you like, will roll your eyes at it, but that's okay. Okay, so Adrian, go ahead and, and hit the video, and then I'll be back. So Moses is about to speak. <laughs> I should have put a big beard on or something to that one. Let's read together, Deuteronomy 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edri, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying... Now, that may all sound as thrilling as a Google Maps printout there. This is where they are, this is where they've been, this is when this is, etc., etc. But there's actually some really interesting stuff here. Besides the fact that this grounds the text in actual history and geography. Notice, verse 2 says that it was an 11-day journey from Horeb. A seemingly innocuous comment, but Horeb is another name for Sinai. When were the Israelites at Sinai? 40 years before. So in other words, it had taken them oh, around 14,600 days to make an 11-day journey. 
Such was the cost of their disobedience and rebellion against God. We can hear a, a warning here. As Ajith Fernando says, disobedience never pays. God will forgive us when we repent, but the consequences of sin make it sheer folly to disobey. Disobedience slows down our progress. And here, that's an understatement. The Israelites had had an opportunity to launch into the Promised Land, to launch a conquest about four decades earlier at Kadesh Barnea, but they didn't, and thus they squandered an entire generation's time on earth. So now Moses is implying, don't squander the opportunity this time. In verse 4, a couple conquered kings are mentioned, Sihon and Og, one of my favorite names in the Bible. We wonder, why are these guys brought up? It seems like, a, they seem like random details. Well, well we're going to learn a lot more about Sihon and Og in a couple weeks in chapter 2 and 3. All I'll say now is that these were powerful reminders of past victories for God's people. And thus, they served as an encouragement as they faced greater challenges still ahead. One final thing to notice here is that the authorities behind this book are established right away. Right? On the human level, the speaker is Moses, the man God chose to lead his people, to deliver them out of Egypt and then to deliver to them God's law. He's one of the most significant biblical characters, right up there with Adam and Abraham and David. But these are not just the words of Moses. They are the words of God. Do you see that? At the end of verse 3, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. See, what people needed most wasn't just self-help motivational talks. They needed a word from God. And so do we. Constantly. And as such, as a word from the Lord... Deuteronomy might not have been spoken into our context, but it is always relevant. And that's because it is still God's word. God is still our king. He is God over us. The same God who led Israel through the Red Sea and thundered at Sinai is still Lord. Now, some would scoff at that idea. Some of us may find it really hard to believe at times. We will, or we find it difficult to see that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God in the New. We'll be wrestling with some of these concepts as we go through this book. But I believe that what we'll find is that what we read here shapes much of what comes later in Scripture. And that we'll actually see one consistent message from one faithful God throughout Scripture. And like it or not, this message that he gives invariably includes commands. If you believe in this God, you have to start by seeing him as your Lord and your leader. Okay, something that we can already see clearly from Deuteronomy is a way that the Lord is leading his people, was leading his people at this time, and he still leads us now. The Lord leads us by authoritatively revealing commands. The Lord leads us, or commandments you could say, the Lord leads us by authoritatively revealing commands. Verse 3 said this, 
So Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. And then verse 5 implied it as well. It says, Beyond the Jordan and the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, and so forth. Notice that what, what Moses was seeking to do here. He undertook to explain the law, the law that God gave his people, a law that was perfect. But that doesn't mean it was perfectly understood. And so Moses felt the need to explain this law to a new generation. And this is really, the book of Deuteronomy is one of the earliest examples of what we have come to call expository preaching. A preaching that takes exactly what is written or said and explains what the text means. It's not a preacher trying to preach his own ideas or thoughts or ramblings, but trying to be faithful to what God has already revealed and spoken. It's the kind of preaching that we try to make sure we practice here at Calvary, relaying God's words, not our own. But these days, even here, you can't say that law is really our preferred genre to preach from or hear from, right? We prefer stories and psalms, poetry and prophecy, gospels and epistles. We kind of push the law to the side. So what we want to do, we're kind of trying to remedy that by spending a significant season here in the law. I, as a preacher, I hate the idea of just tickling your ears. Okay, that would be so pointless in the long run. I want to feed us as a church not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And we need to hear from God. And you might think, but Pastor Matt, the law is just so confusing. It seems so archaic, boring at times. I understand. I mean, there's plenty of my Bible reading plans that have ended somewhere in Leviticus or Numbers too. But, we miss out on so much precious truth from God when we ignore his law. And don't feel bad if you feel confused sometimes. What was Moses trying to do here? He was trying to explain the law. The law even needed explaining back then. People didn't get it. So don't be surprised if you sometimes feel lost, but know that there are explanations and there are, are good answers to our questions. But be really honest with yourself as we start. How well do you know the law or the commands of God? How well do you know them? If you're like me, you probably say, not that well. But if God is your king, then how can you or how can we follow him without knowing what he desires of us? Angela and I were just watching a, a show this week in which a, a U.S. president ordered a team of Navy SEALs to go abroad and launch a raid on a terrorist base. But imagine with me if, if that team of soldiers, if these soldiers had just been helicoptered over there, dropped off of the site without any orders given to them. Or maybe if they had orders given to them that they had ignored them, they hadn't listened to them. What would happen? Disaster, right? They'd likely fail, maybe be killed on the ground. And if not, and they got back, they hadn't followed orders, they'd likely be dishonorably discharged 
and be even charged with treason. We, as God's people, on God's earth, needs to know what God desires from us and what he desires us to do with our lives. And what he desires is based on the foundation of what he has commanded. We must learn to love the commands of God. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You want to love? You keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So if you're ready to grow in the love of God, then we have to grow in our obedience to God. If God is your commander, then we had better listen up for his commands. So are we seeking to hear, to understand, to apply? And might I add, not only on Sundays are we seeking to do this. So now that we're listening into what Moses is going to say, listen to how he starts. Verse 6. He undertook to explain the law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and then in Negeb and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and their offspring after them. So there you see that the command for God's people to take possession of the promised land. Now some of you might see the words take possession and get a little bit worried about that, bothered by it. Wouldn't that mean conquest or holy war, maybe even genocide? I don't have time to address this issue today, but trust me, we will deal with this in Deuteronomy. It's coming. Let's just say for now that Israel was God's chosen tool for a very justified judgment. It wasn't all about them. It was about God's judgment as well. And Israel was God's chosen tool to carry it out. But notice something else rather interesting here. Moses was setting out to explain the law. But the first command he reminded people of wasn't a command from the law. Instead, this command, in verse 8 you saw it, this command pointed back to what God did for his people before he gave them a law. And it pointed ahead to what he was going to do, he's promising to do for them in the future, what he'd be giving them. And thus, Moses framed God's law thoroughly within God's grace. What God did in the past and what God was going to do in the future. He, God prepares blessings for us in advance and he offers to them to us before we deserve anything from him. And then he promises us more, far more, if we will set out to follow him. Here's the point. The Lord leads us to graciously promised blessings. The Lord leads us, his people, to graciously promised blessings. 
The Lord our God, verse 6, the Lord our God said to us, the Lord, that's Yahweh, whenever you see the capital L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh, our God said to us, and we believe Yahweh is still our God too. Ajit Fernando explains the expressions Lord our God or Lord your God appear 260 times in Deuteronomy. We belong to him, and in a sense, he belongs to us in a covenant relationship. That is the most important thing about us. We are his, and he is ours. The first question in the New City Catechism asks, what is our only hope in life or death? The answer, that we are not our own, but belong to God. Echoes Romans 14, 8, which says, So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Question is, is the Lord yours? The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Okay, long enough. Load them up. Move them out. Get moving. Break camp. And we know from elsewhere that Israel had spent about a year there at Horeb, at Sinai, with Moses receiving the law, everyone else learning about the law, learning from God before going any further on their journey. And Num Numbers 10, 13 tells us that they set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. Again, we see the emphasis on following the Lord's leadership first and foremost. They set out at his command. His command in verse 7, Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah and the hill country and the lowland and in the Negev by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now this is talking about the promised land. And this idea of the promised land is not something that we tend to understand very well. Why did God promise this land to his people? We don't get the, the appeal of milk and honey. Right? Sounds sticky. We wonder, what was so special about this land? What was so special about this, this little strip of land along the Mediterranean seacoast? Well, on one level... The ancient Near East, in the ancient Near East, deities were often associated with the lands that they ruled. That certain areas were their realm or their territory, and they were expected to be worshipped in that land, in that, in that place. That may strike us as strange and frankly incorrect, but that was the, the common viewpoint of that time. So George Athos explains, God was not merely picking a random piece of land to give to the Israelites. He was giving them the land that was specifically considered his own. Now, this doesn't mean that God didn't rule over the whole world. In fact, the borders that are described here in Deuteronomy are, happen to be far much larger than Israel ever possessed, giving a little hint about God's power being a lot more widespread to the people reading this. What this just means is that God wanted a, a certain land to be associated with him and with the worship of him. Something that he could use, a tool that he could use to showcase his power and his faithfulness, really, to the whole world. Christopher Wright says, 
possession of the land would be in itself a monumental, tangible proof of the faithfulness of Yahweh to his promise. The land was thus also a proof of God's grace. There's another angle to consider here for why the land was significant, specifically to the people. It was to be a true homeland for people who had been nomads and slaves for hundreds of years. If you know a bit of the history, consider the plight of African-American slaves a couple centuries ago. They were horrendously abused in so many ways and desperately longed for freedom. What, what that often meant, though, to get freedom, they would have to escape where they were and go somewhere else, somewhere that they could find freedom, perhaps somewhere in a, in a free state, or many actually tried to flee to Canada. This was their promised land, in some, in some ways to speak. So many people took the Underground Railroad of, of secret routes and safe houses to find that place where they would be free. Appropriately, the, the slaves often adopted the language of the Israelites in the Bible. They would sing and pray about being delivered from Egypt and delivered, brought into the promised land, Canaan. We don't have a hard time understanding that longing, do we? We see it, we understand they're longing for land, a place to truly live and thrive. Such was the same for the people of Israel. Canaan was a dream come true. And as was mentioned a moment ago, it was an incredible gift. It was a grace from God. This was God's promise. It was God's doing. And you, if you see in verse 8, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and their offspring forever. It's like, I've laid it out for you. It's yours for the taking. All you've got to do is take it. But notice something utterly crucial here. Not only for this passage, really for the entire book of Deuteronomy. The law, which is going to come in a bit, the law was based on what God had already done to save his people. The law was based on what God had already done to save his people. The Red Sea happened before Sinai. Right? Salvation came before the law. God's promises came before God's precepts. They, the blessings were already offered to the people. They were considered a saved people by God. And so, as Daniel Block says, obedience to the law was not a means for gaining salvation, but a willing and grateful response to salvation already received. If you don't understand this, you risk misunderstanding the entire law. And guess what? We're not so different. God has set 
incredible blessings and promises before each one of us in his grace. We may not have a a physical homeland that we're about to step into tomorrow, but the gospel promises blessings far greater than a promised land could ever do. Forgiveness of sins is set before you now. Freedom from guilt and shame. Victory over death and Satan and hell. An imputed righteousness of the heart set before you. It's there for the taking. The love of the Father the blood of Jesus, the Son, the the power of Christ's resurrection, the Holy Spirit to to live inside of us, empowering a righteous life, an eternal home for us in glory, and so much more. These are all laid out before us that the promise of a land pales in comparison to the promise of a Savior. Jesus is set before you now. So will you take possession of the grace of God? Will you? For those who already have, countless blessings, countless other blessings are now held out to us as well. But as Ajith Fernando warns, though the promises of God are there for us to take hold of and enjoy, we could forfeit the blessing by disobeying Even though we, like Moses' generation, have experienced many blessings in the past, we must not take the promises for granted. Over the next verses, Moses talks about how God's promised blessings really could already be seen coming to pass. In verse 9, he says, At that time, so when they first set out for the promised land, At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. He is intentionally echoing the language of the Abrahamic covenant there. When God promised to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Moses like, behold, look around. You are evidence of God keeping his promises. You're the proof. However, this created a logistical nightmare of leadership. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. Moses couldn't effectively lead what was really at this time hundreds of thousands of people on his own. For a while, he was the only judge over the whole nation. It was overwhelming. And verse 12 says, How can I bear, you, bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? There wasn't enough Moses to go around. But despite the challenges, despite the, as he struggled to cope with the consequences, Moses recognized that this was a blessing and even prayed for more. In verse 11, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. God 
is faithful to fulfill his promises to his people. Don't ever doubt that. God is faithful to fulfill his promises to his people. If you are alive and following Jesus today, that alone is the fulfillment of multiple promises. You're the proof. God is faithful. So are we aware enough of his faithfulness to thank him and to worship him accordingly? Do we see it? Does it excite us? Your life, your life may seem really hard right now. You may feel miserable every day. But God has still been faithful to this day. And he will be faithful again tomorrow. Hold on to that with all you've got. He is faithful. So how did... Moses go about solving the problem of too many people to care for. Delegation. Okay, look at with me in verse 12. We'll go down to 16. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? So choose from your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges, these are the, just generic leaders over these people, and I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who was with him. Now this really was a key moment in Moses' life. He was coming to terms with his limitations as a leader. And we really, we all are limited people. Even the best leaders out there, like Moses, are limited. God never needs help. But he chooses to work through fallen human, limited human people. And we humans always need help. <laughs> we best drop our pride and admit that. But we might read this of this story and think, why is this here? Why is Moses bringing this up now? It seems strange. It might not seem to follow Moses' flow of thought. But Mary Wilson tells us this. But imagine how these freshly redeemed slaves received this gift. Imagine how they would have rejoiced over God's institution of systems to promote equity and justice, especially with a view to protect vulnerable persons. Matters of corporate justice among God's people are not peripheral. They're at the very heart of God's purposes for his holy people. And in our age of social elitism, racial injustice, and economic disparity, how we must treasure this gift to the church and gladly apply it. This is part of how we show the world what God is like. God has established justice among them. This is a precious and necessary gift. 
So it's a gift again, a grace yet again. It's also right on the topic of God's leadership, right? One way that God chooses to display his leading to us is actually through us. He uses us to do it. Here's the point. The Lord leads us through wisely chosen leaders. The Lord leads us through wisely, carefully chosen human leaders. Did you notice the, the qualifications of the leaders that Moses appointed? It mentions it a couple times, but verse 13 says, Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as their heads. In other words, knowledge, discernment, and a good reputation. These are quality qualifications. Now, I wouldn't say that the, the church needs to copy this form of leadership structure, but I would say that the, the principle of limitations and delegation are wise. And the appointment of church leaders in the New Testament, we see this, is, off, is also likewise very carefully done. Choose leaders who are qualified in various ways. On the delegation side of things, I'd also comment that this is a, a great side benefit of small groups. Even though we're not a huge church, I am unable to care for each and every one of your needs or your cares. We are blessed to have Pastor Kenny as well now, as well as a team of great godly elders, but our small group leaders also fulfill a crucial role in being on the front lines of care. Here would be those leaders of tens. Right. We, we all need this. We need to be led by godly people because God actually uses them to lead us himself. I get this from the instructions that Moses gave to the judges he appointed. Look again in verse 16. It says, And I charged your judges at that time, Hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, catch this, for the judgment is gods. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I'll hear it. So each of these leaders would ultimately represent God to the people around them. They were to be impartial and righteous because God is impartial and righteous. And they would not be intimidated by anyone because God was working through them. Do not, you shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. The New Living Translation puts it, Don't be afraid of how they will react, for you are judging in the place of God. Let me tell you, when you are in leadership, it is so easy to start fearing man. So easy to start leading in certain ways in order to try to please certain people. But Proverbs 29, 25 tells us the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. If we want to be godly leaders, we must learn to fear God and no other person. Leaders, whether 
whether you lead in the nursery or on the board of elders, be careful how you lead. Be careful. Because God will lead his people through you. It's a high calling. You represent him. That should give you, that should really give all of us a a fresh dose of humility and courage. Humility and courage. And if you're not a leader, maybe, maybe you even feel small, insignificant, marginalized, powerless. Maybe you, maybe you feel like an outsider. There's something for you to take to heart here as well. That God cares about you and your care and your justice just as much as anyone else's. Verse 16 said, And I charge your judges, here are the cases between your brothers. Judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. So even the non-Israelites who weren't part of God's holy people deserved fair treatment. They deserved justice. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. No favorites. Okay? That brings James 2.1 to mind. For me, my brothers, or my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That goes for all of us in how we treat one another. And James goes on to say in that passage that, that doing so is actually a matter of loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's a form of how we love one another. Which, if you do that, actually fulfills the entire royal law laid out in Scripture. That's what James says. Speaking of which, Moses ends this paragraph by simply saying this, verse 18, And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. All the things that you should do. That's the law. What's especially interesting here, though, is that Moses is the one giving the commandment here. Back in verse 4, it was the Lord giving the commandment. Now in verse 18, it's Moses. This doesn't mean that Moses had equal authority with God or anything like that. But it does show that God was leading and speaking through his chosen leader. We're going to see as we go through Deuteronomy that the Lord's voice and Moses' voice are often intertwined that scholars often find it difficult to even tell who's speaking at a given moment. And this goes to, to reinforce the, the authority of what Moses says here. We better pay attention. God is speaking. As well as the point that, that God leads us through wisely chosen leaders. So the challenge for us in the church now, I believe, is to ensure that we are continually wise in our choice of leaders as a church, to make sure that, that they're well qualified because they will represent God's leadership to us. And then when we have godly leaders, we need to make sure that we're following their lead. And so ask yourself, are you submitting to the leadership of those in authority over you? Or maybe are you causing trouble for them? holding out in an area. 
resisting in certain ways. That does not mean to just put up with bad or ungodly leadership. Not at all. But it does mean all of us need to be a lot more humble than we usually are. Is there somewhere in your life that you need to surrender over to the Lord's leadership today? Anything, really. The Lord wants to lead you as your Lord. Are you surrendering to Him? Maybe in a, in a conflict or fight that you're having. Maybe in a struggle you're having, a financial struggle, a, a job loss, some hardship that you're facing, pain that you're feeling. Maybe there's something that you know God would have you do, but you're not obeying. Not following. Today is the day to, again, say Jesus is Lord. Follow Him. In these verses, we really just get the start of a story. The beginning of a journey. As God's people first set out for the promised land. But when Moses spoke these words, this story was 40 years old. And he knows how the story continued. Tragically, God's people did not follow the Lord's lead well. They rejected God's commands. They spurned his blessings. And they fought his leaders. And the entire trajectory of their history would be altered because of that. Today, we are now hearing this message like that original new generation of listeners, maybe for the first time. And we have received countless blessings and we stand on the verge of so much more. So I wonder what will be said of us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need you for this. Would you keep Jesus at the forefront of our focus? Would we see your grace on every page? And would your spirit help us obey your leadership in our lives? We like to go our own way. And you keep drawing us back. Do that now in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.